So over the past few weeks as we have journeyed through the book of Acts, we have seen and heard of the ascension of Jesus Christ. We have heard of the Pentecost story where the Holy Spirit descended upon the people and filled them with a new vigor to be the people of God. It empowered them, and it empowered them to birth the church, which was united in love of God and care for neighbor And as the irresistible church continued to grow in that love and to trust God with all that they needed, they continued to add to their number day by day. And that leads us to this story from Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, which is a rather interesting story where we've heard a lot about what we do or what we're called to do as the church. This is a story, um, well, just listen. Because from Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, we hear of a man named Ananias. And it says, With the consent of his wife, Sapphira, they sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back a part of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter said, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Did You did not lie to us, but to God. Now when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard it. And the young men came and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. And then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and died. And then the young men came in, and they found her dead. And so they carried her out, buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church, and all who heard this and these things. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, as you hear this, you may have heard of Ananias and Sapphira, but you may not know the story. And now that you've heard the story, you may find yourself asking, what just happened? Why is this even in Scripture? What is going on? And better yet, why are you preaching about this? But before we truly dive into the text, I'm a firm believer that context matters. So let's not forget what's going on around the text. We need to understand and as we have seen, the church has become what, temple, what the temple was supposed to be and do in the Old Testament. They're doing what God has been calling his people to since the beginning of time. They've committed to sacrificial care and love for all, seeking equality of all as they come into the body of God. They are living out what we later hear echoed in Galatians 3, where it says, So in Christ Jesus... You are children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. For you all are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. 
they are a community committed to following Jesus. They are they have become a community that is seeking to glorify, honor, and serve God and one another. But as they live out these values that we have heard over the past few weeks, it creates attention. Creates attention because it fi- they find themselves in contrast to what the Old Testament temple living had become. Now we know what it was created for, but what it had become is something that it was not even created to be. And this is why we hear Jesus always attacking the religious elite, if you will, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The religious elite are trying to force their ways upon the people of Jesus, and they're saying, this is how we do things, and the way we do things is the way that I say we do things, because this is how I interpret it, and this is what it looks like. And they were the only people that knew the Scriptures, and they were the only people that were able to uphold the Scriptures, and so they would say, this is what it's supposed to be. And what we found is that they began to do and say things that would benefit self over God. And Jesus' Jesus's response to them is what we hear in Matthew 23 over and over. He says, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to the people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus is saying, you look good, but your heart is in the wrong place. What Jesus is pointing them to, and what he has guided the church of Acts to, is opposition of what the temple life has become. Because the temple life has had abandoned their theology for meology. And what I mean by that is if theology is the study of the nature of God and religious beliefs and understanding who God is, then meology would be a shift from God and religious belief to a set of personal ideals and desires focusing more on self. They have become so focused, or they had become too focused, rather, on power and position and control, on who was in and who was out, on laws and regulations, that they, and they had become too focused on religion over relationship. And what I mean by that is religion is transactional. And, and it sees God as a, as a useful a tool sometimes. It, it's an institution that we create that says this is what it, what it looks like. This is who's in control. This is who has the hierarchy. This is who is in and who is out. This is the rules and regulations by which we live. And whereas what Jesus come and what God came for was not to create religion but relationship. Because relationship is transformation. What sees God is beautiful. And Jesus did not come to create some new institution, but to form a relationship. And the religious elite have become so focused on self instead of the transformational relationship with God, they've lost sight of what it's all about. Jesus is calling them to something deeper. Something new. This is why over and over when Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he says, you've heard it said that, dot, dot, dot. But I tell you, 
and he's and he's shifting the way in which we view things. It's no longer cut and dry. It's no longer a set of rules and regulations. It's no longer an institution, but the church is now a body that is out and doing. The church is the people. It is not a place that we attend. And so with that in mind, we, we hear these words in Acts 5. And, but before we get to that, the final words of chapter 4 are this, that Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he sold a field. He owned and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is right before what we just heard. And he gave all of what he had And that's what God blessed. But in chapter 5, they sold the property and they kept some of the funds back. They, they withheld some of it for themselves. They desired to, to appear like Barnabas, but they are faking it. You see, this story is not about the money, but it's about the heart of the issue. It's about two people who choose to play pretend in a community that is trying to be authentically living out who Jesus is so that others will know these two are being anything but authentic. They've, they've lost focus. They've begun to care about self over service, greed over giving, me over we, and they have traded their theology for meology. And I fear that the Sadducees and the Pharisees, that Ananias and Sapphira, and even the church universal have somehow made religion the focus over relationship. We're not asking what is God seeking us to do? What is God calling us to do? We're not asking what is God's will and desire. But instead, we have made it all about what we want and desire. So quick test. When we struggle with or when we don't like something that we have to do that scripture proclaims that we should do, we do you say that can't be true or that can't be right? Or do you go seeking something to promote your own agenda? So often we find ourselves, we begin with what we want and we work it backwards and we say, see, scripture does say that without understanding the context. A text without a context is a pretext. And so, which lead, and this leads us to God's will not mattering, but we seek our own will in the scripture. And it can lead us to a scary place where we believe that God's will is my own will, which is meology. But what if we started by saying, God, you are the truth. I'm not going to pick and choose the parts of your scripture that I can live by or like, but I'm going to fully believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. So I'm going to start with you and your teachings, even those that are challenging to me and I don't like. I'm going to start there and live it out. You see, the sin, and what, I, what Reverend Frank Allen says is that the sin for which they, they being Ananias and Sapphira, were punished, did not consist of a failure to give, but of pretending to give to the Lord what they kept for themselves. And this, this should cause us to take a step back and ask, are we being authentic in our desire to serve God? Are we pretend, or are we pretending to be something that we aren't? Are we claiming to carry out and seek God's will only to truly see our own wants and desires be fulfilled? Are you any different due to following and being in a relationship with Jesus Christ? 
When you shifted to being in relationship with Jesus Christ, was it an upheaval of your life, or did you just kind of say, now I've got the benefit of it and I've upgraded, but nothing changed? When we choose to be disciples of Christ, our wants and desires and preferences do not matter anymore. But many of us want the benefits of following Jesus without the sacrifice. When is the last time that you had to change or give something up to follow Jesus Christ? This type of meology may not crush you as an individual, but it will crush and divide the community around you and crush and divide our world and culture. Division becomes rooted in this terminology where we say, well, it's the will of God. The will of God is not division. The will of God is unity, love, and mercy. Because God's will is to love. But as you look around in our world, you ask, where is the love? What has happened here? Our world is so much more marked by hate and division than love and unity. We are called to be unified in the body, but we are more divided than I can ever recall. We are called to care for others, but all I see whenever I turn on the TV or the radio or open a newspaper or the internet is neglect and attack of the other. One more test. When you read scripture, where do you see yourself in it? What I mean by that is when you open the scriptures, do you find yourself being John, the disciple who Jesus loved, but never Judas? Are you always the woman that was caught in adultery, but never the crowd that sang stone her and kill her? Are you always the Jews in Exodus, but never the Egyptians that were doing the oppressing? Are you always with Jesus, but never a part of the Pharisees? Even today, are you Barnabas, but not Ananias and Sapphira? That doesn't apply to me. Because I would dare say this is a sign that you have developed a meology. When, when you look at it and you say, we are good. I am the good and the right and never called to change. And they are the wrong and in need of change. When you always find yourself on the right side of Scripture but never on the wrong side of Scripture. When you read Scripture and it never causes you to look at it and go, I need to do different. This is where you can look at it and say, I have developed a meology. And this morning, Christ is asking, do you really want me? Do you really want me or do you just want the accolades? Are you seeking to follow and serve me? Or are you seeking some sort of moral superiority? Or are you willing to humble yourself in service of other that God's will may be known? Or are you using God, the name of God, to support a meology Wanting to present as better than you, than them, better than who you really are, and saying that God's will is your will, and vice versa. Charles Spurgeon is quoted as saying this, and I'm going to close on this quote. If Christ is not all to you, he's nothing to you. He will never go into a partnership as a part savior of men. If he be something, he must be everything. And if he be not everything, he is nothing to you. We cannot say, God, this is my wants and desires to fall in line. But we must say, God, you are all I want, all I need. And I, I trust you to be everything I need. Your will be done. God, come and be everything to us. For fear of losing you and losing sight of you, that you may become nothing. God, come and fill our hearts and minds that we may develop a deeper, richer theology and throw away the meology that has so plagued our hearts, minds, and world.
Amen and amen.